Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Happy New Year. Uh, my name is Nathan, and I serve as the lead pastor here. And today, uh, I want to share a message with you. It is the, literally the first, uh, first sermon, first Sunday of the new year that we are meeting together. And so uh, typically, as we kick off a new year, I'd often uh, speak on a message or even a series of messages around uh, habits, behaviors. And the reason why we usually talk about such things in the new year is because it's something that people are often thinking about as we enter into a new year. It's an opportunity to make changes, an opportunity, as Jason said, to kind of hit the reset button on particular habits and behaviors. And uh, there might be some that hear, hear me say that and think, well, yeah, but church is about Jesus, it's about spiritual things, not about physical things like uh, what does eating healthy or exercising have to do with my spiritual life? And the answer is uh, they're all connected. Your physical body, your mind, your spirit, they're all interconnected and one affects the other. And so sometimes you do need someone to just tell you to go home and have a nap. Okay, sometimes you need to just put down the chips and eat a banana, because if you don't do that, then your body isn't healthy, and then your mind isn't clear, and you don't feel like praying, and you're mean to your kids, and you're angry at your spouse, and so they're all interconnected, and so it would be appropriate to talk about such things as we enter the new year, but uh, on the other side, we're talking about the physical things, on the other side are the spiritual things, and so today as we kick off the new year, uh, I wanted to talk about Jesus, and I wanted to talk specifically about um, our need for Him. That as we seek to maybe change behaviors and habits and to live a better life in 2020 and all of that good stuff, that the best course of action to do that would be to have a proper understanding and love for Jesus. That if we start there, a lot of these other things we can continue to work on because those are all great to work on. So we're going to be in John chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, you can flip it open to John chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be in this chapter uh, for our time today. Now, John chapter 6 has something like 71 verses, so we're not going to read it all. Uh, we're going to be kind of skipping around a little bit. We'll have to skip some sections because there's just so much there. Uh, we could do eight messages just in this one chapter, uh, which is there's so many huge themes. And so today, uh, I want to just kind of give you a little bit of the uh, context for this particular chapter. This is roughly the middle of Jesus' ministry on earth. Uh, he was doing his thing for three and a half years or so. Um, in the beginning of John chapter 6, we have Jesus preaching to massive crowds. When I say massive, it tells us there were 5,000 men. There would have been women and children and others as well. So you could be 10,000, 15,000. Imagine the memorial center, every seat full and then some. That's how many people have followed Jesus out to the wilderness by the sea. And he's preaching to them and he's talking to them and he's healing the sick and he's doing all these cool things. And these large, large crowds have gathered. Now, Jesus sees the people. He sees that they're hungry, and he turns to his disciples, and he's like, hey, guys, can we, uh, can we get some bread for these folks? Can we feed them? Do something. And they're looking at each other like, what, what are we going to do? And so they open up the money bag that Judas would have kept, and they start counting the coins because people would donate to Jesus, and they put it in a bag, and, and Judas would steal from it. That's fun. And so they put all this money in the bag, and so they're counting their change, and they're like, Jesus, we don't have enough money to feed all these people. And even if we did have enough gold and silver, we couldn't find a bakery to provide this much bread for all these people. Like, we cannot do anything. And so ultimately what happens is they, they find a little boy, and he's, got, he's the only one who was smart enough to take a lunch. Um, probably his mom gave it to him. She was smart. Somebody was smart. So he's got five barley loaves and a couple fish. 
and he's willing to give this to the disciples, and they bring it to Jesus, and they're like, all we got is this. And Jesus, of course, knew what was going to take place. He knew he was going to do a miracle, so he took the kid's lunch, and he blessed it, and he thanked God, and he breaks the bread, and he gives it to his disciples, like, hand this out. Now, how awkward is that? They're all holding, like, a little loaf and a couple fish, and it's like, hey, feed the people. And so they begin tearing off the bread and the fish, and they're handing it out, and it just keeps going and going and going. So in the end, if you know the story, 5,000, 10,000, however many there were, they're all fed and filled. It says that they were all satisfied. Nobody was left hungry. You know, like you go to a church potluck. If you're the last person there, good luck, right? <laughs> all that's left is a jello salad and a few other gross things you shouldn't touch. And so, so everyone's satisfied, and not only that, but there's leftovers, right? So they got all these leftovers. So everyone is just marveling. In fact, the text tells us, if you read the entire chapter, the people were all getting stirred up. They wanted to make Jesus their king. They wanted to announce him king. Who wouldn't want a king who can make bread? I mean, I like bread. And if somebody could make unlimited bread, I, and I'm following that guy. And so they, they literally wanted to make him king. And Jesus withdraws from the crowd, and he goes up into the mountain, presumably to pray. His disciples, he sends them across the sea. So they, they get in their fishing boat, and they begin going across the Sea of Galilee. Now, uh, on the way across the sea at night, a storm blows in, which is very common in that area because of the way the mountains are formed. And so the wind comes barreling through, and they're caught in this storm. And, of course, Jesus, he walks across the water, he calms the storm, and they get to the other side. Now, what's interesting about this is in the morning, you know, the sun comes up, and all of the people are waiting for Jesus to come down off the mountain, and he's nowhere to be found. So they begin looking for him. Some of them get in boats and go across the sea. Others, I presumably, go all the way around the sea on foot trying to find Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 25. It says this, When they found him, so they got thousands of people searching for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you, get, when did you come here? How did you get here? Like, what, what happened? They, they don't know. Of course, Jesus doesn't tell them. No problem. I just walked across the water, calmed the storm, etc., etc., he ignores all that, and he gets right to the heart of the issue, which, again, is something Jesus always does. He answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. He's like, let me tell you why you came all this way to find me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, Jesus points to this word signs. Now, John, the gospel writer who's writing this account of Jesus' life, uses the word signs very, a lot of times. And what he's trying to make a point of is that there were these signs, these things that pointed to Jesus. And so Jesus says, you didn't come because you saw signs. You came because you ate your fill of the loaves. What is a sign for? Anybody know? It points to something significant, right? That's what a sign does. So if I, you saw a sign that said falling rocks on the side of the highway where you're driving by a cliff, right? You got a little sign, pop it up here, falling rocks coming. There it is. So when you see a sign like that, you don't swerve around the sign. Oh, man. The sign said, no, when you see that, what it does is it draws your attention to the hill up ahead, and you know that there's the potential for rocks to be falling, and you're thankful that the sign was pointing you to that very significant thing. That's what a sign does. John, as he writes his gospel, keeps saying, here's a sign, here's a sign, here's a sign. Jesus heals the sick, sign. It's pointing to something. Jesus opens the blind eye. Who can do that? <laughs> That's a sign. Must be God, must be the Son of God, must be the Messiah, right? Jesus feeds the 5,000. Who can feed 5,000 people or more with a little lunch? Only God. So all of these things are signs that are intended to point people not to the sign. Not to, it wasn't about the bread. It was about the giver of the bread. It was about Jesus. And so all these things are pointing beyond. And Jesus says, here's the idea. 
you didn't see me multiply the bread and think, our king has come. The Messiah has come. The savior of the world. God has come. You didn't think that. You just wanted more bread. You're a bunch of carboholics. Right? You know, you, any, you see a restaurant, all you can eat bread. You're in. Right? And he's like, you just came because you wanted more bread. I had this twisted idea that this morning I would have a bunch of uh, volunteers set up bread makers in the corners of the gym behind the curtains and just run it before service. So everyone would walk into the... There's nothing better than the smell of fresh baked bread. But then I thought... For, so this is how my brain works. Then I thought, everyone's going to be distracted. No one's going to be listening to me. They're all going to be hungry. So I went on Amazon and I found that they have like um, deodorizers and scented you know, things you plug into the wall and they smell like fresh bread. And I thought, well, that would be easier. But then I read all the reviews and they said it smells like burnt toast. Someone will think they're having a stroke. And, uh, anyway, it's not good. It's just, it... The title of my message today, I was really happy with this title. Um, I'm usually not happy with the titles of my message, but the title of my message today is Beyond Bread. You, some of you have heard of this thing called Beyond Meat, right? Beyond Meat Burgers. It looks like meat, smells like meat, apparently tastes like meat. I haven't tried it, but there's no meat in it, right? It's vegetarian or whatever, and that's fine. Um, it's, it's not meat. It's beyond meat. And, and today I want to talk about Beyond Bread because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to ask the people that are listening to him and his disciples and us to look beyond the things he gives us and to find him, to look beyond the natural things that he gives us like bread. So the first, the first point I wanted to make today as we kind of walk through this text is simply this. Don't stop at the sign. Don't stop at the sign. Uh, can you imagine um, if you were to go to a, a foreign country? For me, I'd like to go to Paris. I would like to see the Eiffel Tower. That would be, that would be something I would want to see if I was in Paris. And so it would be crazy for me if I went to Paris and I saw a sign that pointed to the Eiffel Tower. It's the only one I could find. But see, there's a sign that says Eiffel Tower this way. And imagine if you're in Paris, there's signs saying, you know, a block away saying Eiffel Tower and there's an arrow. And could you imagine how silly it would be to stop and get a picture beside the sign? Fly back to Canada and show all your friends, look at the sign pointing to the Eiffel Tower. You'd be like, did you go to the Eiffel Tower? Did you go up in it? Well, no, no, but I got a picture. You'd say, you're a knucklehead. Why would you stop at the sign when you could see the real thing? And Jesus is essentially saying that. He said, look, don't you, you've come looking for bread, but something beyond bread is in front of you, and you're not seeing it because you're thinking with your stomachs. Look beyond, look beyond. So don't stop at the sign. You think, well, that's crazy. They were weird. But for us, we do this too. I would say that a lot of us, including myself, when you first come to church, you come to church and you're kind of like learning about faith and Jesus and all that stuff. And one of the things you discover is there's some good things in a healthy church. There are people that love you. A healthy church should have people that love you. Guess what? People that love each other should be a sign that points us to Jesus. Churches should have great programs for kids and adults and teens and all that stuff. And so those are great, but those are signs that hopefully are pointing kids and teens and people to Jesus. Great sermons, worship that inspires, and, and all of it should point us to Jesus. And so, honestly, don't stop at the sign. If church for you is nothing more than just coming and receiving something that's good for you or your family, you're missing it. You're stopping at the sign. There's something beyond bread ahead. So don't fall in love with the sign. Um, let the signs point you to Christ. That's, that's the idea. So he continues in this conversation. He says, do not work for the food that perishes. You understand that food perishes, right? 
I'm going get to a, get, a, get a round of, uh, get you to raise your hands and sort of uh, do a little survey here. How many of you in the last couple of weeks had a fantastic, satisfying meal? Throw your hands up. Okay, that's almost everybody. <laughs> now, I need you to be honest as a church. How many of you in the last two weeks ate too much? Throw your hands up. Okay, that's, that's a lot of you. Thank you for being honest. Um, how many of you, here's the last question, in spite of how much you ate and how satisfied you were with the fantastic meals, are planning to eat again today? <laughs> All right, there's a few of you who are fasting. You're super spiritual. Um, we understand that no matter how satisfying, no matter how full we are, no matter how much food we've eaten and how good it was, guess what comes? Hunger comes. We find ourselves unsatisfied in time. And this isn't just true about food, by the way. This is true about everything. Let me ask you a question. How much money is enough money? If I just had $1,000, if I had 100000 if I had a million, then I'd be satisfied. Guess what? No, you won't. If I just had more accolades, if I had more degrees, if I had more friends, if I had more likes on Facebook, if I had more anything, you know, if I had more fame, if I had more people that loved me, if I had more stuff, if I had more sex, if I had more achievement. I paused on that one because it was awkward. Uh, we, we think about all these things. And we're like, man, if I just had this or that. Like, so we have hungers, physical, emotional needs, and we think that if we can somehow satisfy them, then we'll be satisfied. And the truth is, Jesus says, don't work for food that's perishing, food that fades away, food that leaves you hungry. Once again, don't do that. It won't work. And he continues, don't work for the food that perishes, but instead the food that endures to eternal life. Now, this is going to pique people's interest. They're listening to him, and they wanted bread, and now he's saying that there's a bread that you'll never get hungry again. They're like, oh, we're interested, right? But Jesus says there is a food for eternal life. In other words, Jesus says there's something beyond mere bread. When Satan tempted Jesus, what did he say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out. There's something more significant. There's something beyond physical bread. Jesus says, essentially, what about your soul? Do you know that your soul and your heart hungers and craves for something that it needs to be satisfied? You see, if we lose sight of this, so much of our behavior, so much of the things we do and the motives of why we do them and the way we treat other people and whether we behave or misbehave, so much of that is driven by an internal hunger, a dissatisfaction. We're hungry inside and, it, and we're trying to satisfy it by crossing lines and doing all of these things on the outside. And so I guess in one sense, um, as you approach the new year and you're making resolutions to change, one of the questions would be, have you addressed the hunger in your heart? Has your soul been satisfied? Because if not, you're going to try to continue to fill it with other things. And Jesus says, don't work for that. It won't satisfy. You know, the problem of sin, people talk about sin a lot in church. I guess they don't anymore, but they used to. A sin was this idea of missing the mark. It's like there's a bullseye, and God says, here's how you're to live. Here's what you're to do. There's the bullseye on the target, and we're like, we're firing darts everywhere, and we're missing the mark, what God intended for us. We're missing the mark that we intend for us. So we're missing the mark, missing the mark, missing the mark, and Jesus is pointing to the fact that the problem is actually rooted in the heart. We're aiming for the wrong things because we're dissatisfied. We haven't received that food that will satisfy our soul, that thing that we need the most. So do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which, Jesus says, the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus says, I'm the one who's going to dispense this beyond bread. I'm the one that's going to give you this food that will, that will satisfy you forever. 
And he says, for on him or on himself, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus says, hey, I want you to know all the signs are pointing to me. I want you to know that you can look to me, and I'm the one who will satisfy you. So they said to him, okay, you've got the bread. We want the bread. Naturally, they ask a very logical question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Like, Jesus, we know there's some stuff we haven't got in line. We know there's some stuff we've got to fix and do, so you just give us the checklist. You tell us what we're to do, and we'll do it, and then you'll give us this bread. You see how this works? We'll do this. You give us the bread. This will be a nice, fair exchange. Give us the checklist. i got a little picture of a checklist here for you. A nightly quest of good deeds. So you do these nightly quests of good deeds, and God will give you this bread, and you'll never be hungry again. They're thinking, gosh, just give us the list. But Jesus doesn't give them a list. Here's what he says. This is, this needs, you need to take note of this. Jesus answered them, this is the work I underline that word, work of God, because notice it's singular. Jesus doesn't say there's a bunch of things you have to do to receive this eternal bread, this beyond bread. He says there's one thing you have to do, and it's not the thing you think. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. I personally, when I read Jesus saying this, I'm expecting him to say, this is the work of God, love one another. He doesn't say that. This is the work of God, be generous, give lots of money, help the poor. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, be a moral person, don't sin, be good, behave. doesn't say that either. He says, this is the work of God. What is the work? Believe in him whom he has sent. Does that seem counterintuitive to you? That's our, that's our work, to just receive him? Jesus is like, yep, believe in me, receive me. Because until you see Jesus for who he is, until you receive what he gives, until he satisfies your soul, you're not going to love people well, you're not going to be generous, and you're not going to be a moral person. You can try hard, but it'll be all you. We need him. Jesus is he's messing with their minds, messing with our minds. Their response um, to this statement is this. Uh, so they said to him, um, <laughs> I love this, what sign do you do? Show us another miracle. Make some more bread and then we'll believe. That we may see and believe you, what works do you perform? Here's point number two. First one, don't stop at the sign. Second one, another sign is not the answer. I meet people all the time and I have at times in my life thought, if God would just do this one thing, then I would know. If God would just get me out of this situation, don't put up your hand if you've ever prayed that prayer. God, if you just get me out of this, I'll serve you and love you forever. Six months later, who's God? Yeah. God, if you just get me out of this mess, if you pay these bills, if you just bring my kids back home, if you would just fix, heal my body, if you would just do this thing, then I will believe in you. And we think the answer is God doing another sign. Well, look, the people asking Jesus this question had seen him heal the sick, raise the dead. They'd heard him preach. They had seen him uh, multiply bread. They had seen enough signs. They didn't want him. They just wanted another sign. And so another sign is not the answer. In fact, um, the religious leaders of the day kept asking Jesus, show us a sign, do a miracle, and then we'll believe. But they kept seeing miracles and not believing. Jesus finally gets frustrated. He says, you know what sign I'm going to give you? Jesus says, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah is this. Jonah is a prophet who's running from God. He's thrown into the water. He's swallowed by a great fish. For three days and three nights, he's in the dark belly of the fish, and then the fish vomits him on the shore, and he goes and preaches. Jesus says, that's the sign you're going to get. Yeah, but Jesus, we just want bread. <laughs> He's like, no, that's the sign you're going to get. And here's the sign. Jesus is, is, is 
is crucified and he's laid in a dark tomb for three days and three nights and then he rises by the power of God and he begins to proclaim the good news of his resurrection and eternal life. Jesus is like, that's the sign. That's all you're getting. We all think if we just get another sign, if God just does a miracle for me, then I'll believe. No, you probably won't. They continue. <laughs> These guys are not giving up. They are hungry for some bread. Our fathers ate manna. If those are unfamiliar, manna was this heavenly bread that God gave to the nation of Israel. So Moses leads like a million people out of Egyptian slavery, and they end up living for 40 years in a wilderness where there's no food. Well, how do you feed a million people? Each morning, six days a week, God, there would be this dew that would come down on the ground, and it would form little crystals of bread, and they would put it together in little cakes, and it was sweet. It was heavenly bread called manna that came down from heaven. And they're like, Jesus, we think you're a prophet. And we know Moses was a prophet. And Moses was able to feed people, so maybe you could do a cool trick right now and make some more bread. Jesus responds to their request. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 32, um, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. He says, it wasn't Moses that gave people the bread. It was God who gave the bread. And that bread that he gave the nation of Israel a thousand years ago in the wilderness, guess who it was pointing to? Me. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus points to himself. They still don't get it. Next verse, they say to him, sir, give us this bread always. They're like, yeah, this sounds amazing. You've got this bread. We get it. You're the guy who distributes this eternal bread. We'll always be satisfied. Give it to us. And this is where things get weird. And it'll just keep getting weirder as we go on in the chapter. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. So the thing that they're waiting for, this beyond bread, Jesus is like, I'm it. And they're looking at each other like, how's that going to help? We're still hungry. Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am what you need. As you can imagine, they didn't like that answer. I've shared this story before, but it's, it's appropriate for this message. Um, many years ago, I was about 20 years old. I was working in Toronto with my dad. And at the time, I was doing youth ministry late at night. And then he would wake me up at 5 in the morning, and we would drive to Toronto. And I'd work in a factory. And, uh, and each day, because I was in a stupor, I'd climb into the car and then fall asleep and then I'd wake up and start get to work. And my dad would always pack us a lunch, which was very nice of him. And he would put it in like a grocery bag, just an empty bag. And he would put whatever he could find. It might be a banana, a tomato, a couple chunks of old bread, a bagel, just something. But there was always something. He always brought something. And so um, I didn't complain too much. And so this one particular day, I was so hungry. Lunch bell goes and I go to his office and there's a bag on the desk. And I'm like, Dad, what do we have for lunch? And he's like, oh, it's something good. And I thought, yes, leftovers, right? And uh, I reach in the bag, and <laughs> you know what I found? He had a chunk of an old Bible in the bag. That was it. It's funny now because as I think back, it was the Gospel of John, which we're reading today. <laughs> and he said something goofy like, the bread of life. <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, seriously, that's not funny. I'm hungry. Where's lunch? And, and he said to me, he's like, we're fasting today. And I said, no, no, you're fasting today. <laughs> And I found a hot dog stand outside and I bought one. <laughs> but his point was that, that there is something beyond bread. There's something beyond the physical needs that we have 
And it, and it points to Christ, that he is, Jesus says, hey, look, I am the bread of life. A third point um, is simply this. True signs point to, to Jesus. And, and if, you, if you can open up this book and read it, and you don't see every page of it pointing to Jesus, you're not reading it right. You go back to the Old Testament, like, what's all this stuff about the temple? There's this giant building called the temple, and it represents Jesus. And inside the temple, there are all these instruments and altars, and each one of them represents Jesus. There was actually a table inside the temple that had fresh bread put on it every morning, and it represented Jesus. And then there were priests with special robes who would offer sacrifices for the people, and the priests represent Jesus. And they would take lambs, and they would sacrifice them and put them on the altar, and the lamb even represents Jesus. I mean, if you can't read this book, and you don't see it pointing to Jesus, you're missing the whole point of the book. And if you come to church, and you sing great songs, and you have great programs, and it doesn't point you and your heart to Jesus, find another church. Right? Because it all points to him. There, there isn't anything else that's going to satisfy. And so true signs point to Jesus. The scriptures point to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, his primary work in the world, reveal and point to Jesus. Everything points to him. And so um, there's this awkward conversation. If you go home and read John 6, um, there's about 10 or 12 verses that follow, which we don't have time to get into, where Jesus is going to argue with the leaders and say, basically... You won't receive me. And they're like, yeah, we don't want you. We want bread. He's like, but I am the bread. And they're like, we don't, we don't, we don't believe that. We don't believe in you. He's like, the reason you don't believe in me is because you're not chosen and called by God. God hasn't opened your eyes to see my worth. And so this conversation continues. Finally, Jesus makes a very, very difficult statement in verse 53. Let's take a look at it. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you. <laughs> I told you it would get weird. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Sounds like cannibalism. And you might be thinking, oh, that's like, a, like in the ancient Greek world, they used to do that. No, they didn't. That was weird then. It's weird now. We don't do that. They, they heard that and the people were like, everyone took a step back. Like, Jesus, are you, what, are you, what, are you, what are you saying to us, Jesus? Can you imagine if I stood up on the stage and told you guys that you had to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you couldn't get to heaven? <laughs> There'd only be 100 people here next week, <laughs> right? 80 that weren't here and didn't watch the sermon online and 15 that were here and were on their phone not paying attention and then five would be my family. <laughs> my kids would be like, I think dad's weird too, but we're forced to come. I mean, and that's literally what happens. Jesus makes these statements that seem outlandish, outrageous. And guess what happens? The crowds start to disappear. Even the disciples, the people who claim to follow him, wanting to be his followers, they all began to leave and go home. They're like, ah, this doesn't make sense. This is too hard for us. Uh, he stopped making bread. We're out of here. And that's literally what happens. There's this watershed moment in Jesus' ministry. Everything's growing. Thousands of people following him. He says... I'm it, and unless you're willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood, if you're able to receive me completely, and if not, you have no life in you, and they're like, okay, we're out of here. And so the people begin to disperse. Notice what it says in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That must have been a difficult day. That must have hurt as Jesus' disciples and followers turned away from him. I was, I was typing this verse in on the computer last night, and my wife sat down, and she's like, oh, that's creepy. It's 666. See, see the reference on the bottom? That's like the beast, the number of the beast, the number of Satan. It's like bad number, right? It's like 
But that's interesting because I looked at that and I thought, that's exactly how Satan works. See, Satan can't stop you from coming to Christ. He can't stop you from obeying him. He can't stop you from loving him. But if he can convince you to walk away, to turn away on your own, then, then he can do something. I just thought that would be fun to share with you. Because it's there. The number's there. I thought it was interesting. Um, verse 67. So he said to the twelve, um, do you want to go away as well? Like, everyone's leaving me. Are you going to leave me too? The crowds are leaving. His fame has dropped. You know, everything's going wrong. And Simon Peter answered him. And this is the verse that really grabbed my attention as I was reading through this chapter. He says something that I think is something that each of us needs to ask. Lord, to whom shall we go? You see, Peter had realized that um, there wasn't a better option than Jesus. And that leads me to my fourth and final point, which is simply this. You know you found him, Jesus, the giver of life, beyond bread, when nothing else was satisfied. <laughs> Peter's like, what am I going to do now? Now that I've known you, now that I've seen you, now that I've heard your words, what am I going to do, go back to the fishing business? Interestingly, when Jesus dies, it's exactly what he does. What am I going to do? We're all going to do something. We're all going to find something to satisfy our hearts. We're all going to pursue something of great worth. And he's like, I haven't found anything else that compares. And I don't know what you just said, and it sounds creepy and weird, but I trust you, and I'm not going anywhere. That's essentially what he says. Because he's asking the question, is there a better option than Jesus? And for a lot of people, the answer is yes. They think, well, i got money, i got prestige, i got friends, i got accomplishments, i got all these things to pursue. But Peter had seen enough of Christ to know there was nothing better. And he says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Interesting aside, um, the scriptures talk about rich people having a hard time finding God, trusting in Jesus. And some of you are thinking, oh yeah, rich people. No, we're in the, if you're in this room, if you live in Canada, you are one of the top 5% in the world. You're the rich people. Okay, Just get that through your head. We're the rich people. Here's why it's so hard for rich people to find God and to trust in him because we have so many options. We have so many options. And it, sometimes we're, we're not, it takes so long for us to exhaust every avenue and option before we realize that there is nothing that will satisfy the way that Christ will. And so we can try vacations and we can try this and we can try that and new clothes and all. The more money you have, the more options, sometimes the longer it takes you to realize that you're poor without Christ. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's always fascinating me. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not about having no money. It's about recognizing that your money isn't enough. It's recognizing that your spirit is poor. That apart from Christ doing a work in you, apart from receiving him to satisfy the longing of your soul, you're poor. And so... You know you found them when nothing else will satisfy. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next week.